Making and selling knives is the vehicle for us to create livelihood. And if we create good livelihoods with a backbone of great values, then we have the ability to impact people outside of our business and be an example and inspire others within our world to be better. And quite honestly, our world could use a little bit more of that these days. Our world could use a lot more companies like Cutco and a lot more leaders like Jim Stitt. In this conversation, you'll learn about the team that purchased Cutco from Alcoa and how Jim learned the people-first values from leaders like his father and Eric Lane. You'll hear about Jim's path through the company from factory floor to the CEO position and get an inside look into the culture and atmosphere of this truly unique and special company. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the podcast featuring the philosophies, qualities, and vision of Cutco's CEO, Jim Stitt. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. I am deeply honored today to have the CEO of Cutco Corporation, Mr. Jim Stitt, here for today's conversation. Jim and his family were part of the team that purchased Cutco from Alcoa many years ago, a team led by the Lane family. Jim's family was a part of that uh, team. And uh, ultimately, Jim went to college at University of Dayton, graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering, went to work for Honda of America for a couple years. And in 1997, Jim came over to Cutco and he has risen through the ranks and really held every position throughout the factory and leadership team over many years, ultimately arriving at the role of CEO of Cutco Corporation. So we've got the big boss here today. Thanks very much, Jim, for making the time for today's conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dan. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, this is going to be really great. So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about uh, your background, the early days of uh, Jim Stitt. So uh, I'm an Ohio boy. I was born in Chillicothe, Ohio. And uh, at that time, my father was an engineer for uh, the Wherever Cookware Plant, which was a subsidiary of Alcoa. And when I was two years old in 1975, my dad was transferred to Olean, New York to take on an engineering position within the Outcast factory. So I, I was born in Chillicothe, Ohio, but uh, home is, is Olean, New York for me. In uh, I think it was around 1980, 
my dad was transferred by Alcoa down to North Carolina to be the plant manager of a powdered metal plant that they had oh. down there. So we, uh, when I was eight years old, we moved to North Carolina. Mm. And then uh, when I was 10 years old, my parents told me we were moving back to Olean, New York, that my father was going to be a part of the executive team with Alcas and part of Eric Lane's team. So we moved back to Olean, New York in 1982. So I'm aware that Alcoa had to divest itself of many of its subsidiaries. And mm -hmm. some genius in Alcoa decided that there was no future for their Cutco subsidiary. So they decided to sell it off. And rather than have the company sold and broken up, the Lane family and your family and others decided they were going to do everything they could to buy the company from Alcoa and be able to you know, build it in their own image and save it, so to speak, and then build it up uh, once again. And so tell us a little bit about that time and, and what your family experienced. Yeah. So I got to give you know, Eric Lane a lot of credit because he was the president of Alcas at that time when Alcoa decided that they were going to divest out of the cutlery business. And you know, I think Eric was, was a true entrepreneur and he wanted to own his own business and he saw the good of the Cutco product. He saw the good of the people that were making the Cutco product, and, and he knew that if he wasn't going to buy it, he's not sure that anybody else really would have taken a shot at it, and the company probably would have closed down. Hmm. But he's the one that said, you know what, we're going to do this, we're going to save some jobs, and, and we're going to take it on. You know, my recollection of that is, I don't have too many memories of it. You know, I was 10, 11 years old at that time, and I knew my dad was an executive here. But I'm not even going to say I, at the time I really knew that he was an owner. It's not something we talked about at the dinner table at night. I just knew that my dad was, he was part of Eric's team down here at, at the factory. And I never really fully understood how hard and the struggles that they had, which, you know, now that I say, I look back and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, as most kids are, most teenagers are, you know, they're giving their parents a difficult time of, I want this, I want that. And, you know, here my, my parents are struggling to try to uh, make this thing go, and I'm kind of uh, oblivious to it all. But, you know, I give my parents a ton of credit that they were able to go through all that transition and struggle, and, and they kept their kids isolated from really knowing how difficult it was. It, uh, I give my parents a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Now, there was a highly leveraged buyout, right? And there was a year of, of having to achieve a specific goal that the, you know, to be able to pay the loan. Can you describe how that went down? So it was. It was a leveraged buyout, which means that you leverage most of your personal assets that you have because you don't necessarily have all the money to buy the company. So, you know, Eric and the four other guys, they leveraged their, their homes, their cars, their assets that they had to purchase the company. And then they also were leveraging future profits. And mm. it was a 15-year a mortgage with the local lender with a three-year callback. And what I didn't recognize until later in my life when my dad told the story, but in 1984, the bank decided to exercise their three-year callback and basically said, you know what? We want out of the loan. You guys need to pay us back. We're going to go in a different direction. The bank was a local bank and they were leaving the area and this was a very risky, risky loan and uh, they wanted out. So there was a period of time there in 1984 where uh, these guys recognized that they had to come up with the money to to pay the bank back. And uh, the only way they could do that was to find another lender. And it took them the better part of the year to find another lender. So while they were looking for another lender, it was uh, 
there was a little bit of doom and gloom. How is this going to play out? If they didn't find a lender, they, they probably were shutting the doors. Wow. And I have no knowledge of that, no memory of that when I was a kid. Somehow my parents were able to, like I said, keep life normal for my brother and I at home. Yeah. It's amazing to think that uh, with all the lives that have been changed by the Cutco and Vector organizations since that time, that it was close to not even being able to happen. It almost, right. uh, it almost didn't happen. Yep. We almost didn't make it through 1984. Yeah. And then was it 85 that a specific goal had to be hit by the end of the year? That was 1984. They found another lender and uh, the agreement was that if they hit their financial target for that year, 1984, their planned tar- their planned income, that the new lender would, would give them uh, a 15 year mortgage. Mm. So, you know, that's where Eric and my dad and their other partners had to call on the rest of the employees to uh, kind of band together and figure out how they were going to make their profit plan for the year. And, and essentially, the union workforce passed on their wage increase that was supposed to go in effect on September 1st of that year. And uh, the salaried workforce took a 10% cut in pay. And that was all needed to cut expenses to try to hit the target. And uh, they were able to hit the financial target. They did get the loan that they needed to keep the business going, and they actually exceeded their target by, I think, like $100,000, and they took that $100,000 and divided it up and gave it back to all the people that they borrowed it from. And 1984 was a year that not only was the business saved, but that was a year that really set the tone for the partnership, the trust, the relationship with management and our factory team. And it was the, the very beginning, if you will, of this wonderful culture that we have in our company. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, we'll definitely get into talking about that culture in the, in the factory and throughout the company in, in a little bit. I'd like to hear more about uh, your path after this. So just through college and into the mm-hmm. workplace, uh, what mm-hmm. was, what was your path? Yep. So if we'll pick up there in 1984, I was what, uh, 10 years old. I uh, worked my way through school at, uh, at only in high school. And then when I graduated from high school, I went to the university of Dayton in Dayton, Ohio. That's where my father went to school. I didn't go there because my dad went to school there. But uh, when I went there and I got a campus tour, I, I fell in love with the place. And it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. And of course, my dad smiled and saying, yeah, I figured this would be a good fit for you. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great place. So I spent four years at the University of Dayton. I got an engineering degree. It was a great experience for me. I loved it there. When I graduated from the University of Dayton, I took a job as, a, as an engineer in the parts quality department at Honda of America at their engine plant in Anna, Ohio. That was a great experience. I absolutely loved being there. And then uh, I was there for two years. And in 1997, I worked my way back to Olean and, and joined the Cutco team. And of course, yeah. I've been here for the last 22 years, 23 years. Yeah. What do you feel like have been some of the key experiences that have shaped your career over the past 23 years with Cutco? You know, I've had the opportunity so fortunate to have the opportunity to hold a lot of different positions within our factory organization. I spent summers, college summers back here in Olean, working in the factory. We've got so many people in our organization that their summer job is they sell knives. Well, my summer job was making knives. Uh, (laughs) So I got that floor experience. I uh, held an engineering position. I did frontline supervision. I did all the different management positions. I worked my way into executive leadership, lower level executive leadership, all the way up to to my role now. 
And, uh, you know, so I've learned an awful lot of different things about the business. I understand how the business works. I've worked with a lot of different people. And of course, those people have shaped who I am. They've helped shape my problem-solving skills, my communication skills, my confidence. And it's interesting. I look back over the last 23 years and I think about how much I've learned from so many people within the business. And of course, for the last uh, 10 or so years, I've been heavily involved with Vector, which that has taught me so much. You know, we talk about all the wonderful things that, uh, that happens in the world of Vector. Well, Vector's impacted me as well, even though I haven't sold, I didn't run a branch, I haven't been a division manager, but, uh, you know, the people of Vector have impacted me big time. Certainly coming from a person who's, who's an introvert. Vector helps shape that a little bit, helps get that <laughs> extrovert out of you and helps you learn how to communicate with people. And so um, a lot of different experiences. I think that's probably the biggest thing for me as I've had the opportunity to get a lot of different experiences within this business that has helped shape me to do what I'm doing today. Yeah, I think it's amazing that you've held you know, literally every type of role from working on the factory floor all the way up to being the CEO. And, and uh, for anyone that doesn't, remember or isn't a part of the company, Vector Marketing is the marketing arm for Cutco, the sales arm for Cutco. And of course, Cutco Corporation is uh, owns Vector and, and uh, Jim oversees all of the, you know, everything. He's the CEO of Cutco Corporation. But uh, we have our field organization here in Vector that uh, sells the products and, and we report to Cutco Corporation. So, and I have found also, Jim, just, you know, I'm actually deeply introverted as well. Like anytime I take any of those personality tests, it always comes out that way. Well, that and, makes me uh, feel better. <laughs> I, I think people see a, a vector managers up on stage giving speeches and, you know, being dynamic communicators and think that we're all extroverts. But, uh, you know, once we get away from those meetings and uh, into our personal lives, it's a pretty different story for a lot yep. of people. And I think the company attracts and develops successful people of all types. And that's one of the great things about uh, our organization. I wanted to talk about the factory because you know I've heard some amazing things about the factory. And of course, I've been there. I get to come to the factory about once a year, every year, and take a tour sometimes and see the people who are working there. And it's always such a compelling experience for any young person working with Vector that hasn't been to the Cutco factory yet. You really want to earn your way to get to go on this trip because it's very cool. I think that of the several hundred employees in the factory, the average tenure is something like 19 or 20 years in a factory job, what a lot of people would not necessarily consider to be the kind of job somebody would, net, would, would hold for a long period of time. But Cutco makes it awesome for people. They make it the place to work and they make the, the work great and meaningful. And, and I just wanted to find out from you, you know, what do you think contributes to this atmosphere and culture that creates this result? And what's it like working in the factory? Yeah. Well, you know, the short answer, it's how we treat each other. Respect is so deeply integrated into our culture. And it's a family-like culture. And, you know, Eric Lane really deserves the credit for getting that established. Because when Eric came to work at the Outcast factory in 1977, uh, we did not have that culture at all. It was a pretty rough culture. And Eric... You know, he took the time to walk around and get to know people and, and understand who they are and, and understand what they did at work and, and listen to them and wanted to know about their families. And, and he shared with them and, he, and he, he knocked down many of those walls. And then, of course, you know, you just fast forward a little bit and, you know, they saw Eric and my dad 
buy the company and, and save the company, if you will. And then they needed their help a couple years later and the employees helped them weather through it. And then they shared with them and when they made it. And you know, those experiences just really created a real trust between management and the owners and everybody else in the organization. And and that has just really been building for the past 35 years. But in the environment that we have, people truly come first. And it's a family-like environment. And we communicate with each other and we listen and we care and uh, we laugh and we have fun. And we work hard and we get results. And people come to work every day because they really like the people they're working with. And, you know, I think one of the testaments that we continue to hear that, that I think speaks to that point is, you know, when it comes time for somebody to think about retirement, they struggle with retiring from here. And whether they're on their way out or they've already retired, the common theme that I hear is I miss the people or I'm going to miss the people. You know, I've retired and I've found myself to, I can do without the work and I'm enjoying that piece, but I love the, uh, I miss the people. And that's what that saying is, is they, they miss the environment of, of how we treat each other. And an awful lot of respect and care and trust is what we really drive in this business. And you know, like I said, we put people first. We don't make business decisions that affect people. We make people decisions that affect our business. And Eric and my dad mastered that for so many years. And you know, it's just under the notion of if you take care of your people, your people will take care of your business. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got 30 years of experience that has proven that very point. So that's such a great insight, Jim. And, you know, I've had some, some conversations with people in, in my circle here in the Silicon Valley about this concept and about the Cutco culture and is the Cutco culture, can it be transferable to other businesses? And interestingly enough, some people say, oh yeah, we do, we do all those same things. Like we work on getting to know our employees on a personal level. We work on developing our people on a personal level. We work on helping them set dreams and goals that are outside of their work and help them to achieve those things. And it's all part of motivating them to want to stay here and do better here. And other people say, oh, you know what? We're a publicly held company and we've got to answer to our shareholders and we've got to focus more on the short term. And we can't do stuff like that because it's long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Cutco is not a publicly held company. Right. And you're able to make all those decisions along with the other leadership team and, and board. Right. How do you balance that sort of long-term versus short-term thinking that, uh, that comes into play? You know, that's a great question. And in one sense, you could say, well, you take our culture and you'd say it's transferable. In some cases it is, in some cases it isn't. But certainly in, in our case, we've been successful. The business has to be successful. You can't do those things for your people. And, you know, we're, we're so fortunate that we are, we're in a world where, you know, the purpose of our, of our organization is not profit. And like you say, there's so many companies where their purpose is profit. Mm. Uh, our purpose is not profit. However, financial health is very important and we are very mindful of profits. You know, there's got to be a profit to keep the organization going so we can take care of our people. If the profits aren't there, you can't take care of your people. Well, we're able to take care of our people. We're able to put people first because we are financially healthy. But it doesn't mean that our purpose is profit. And that's a big thing that sets a private company aside from a publicly traded company. So 
it would be very difficult to do what we're doing and to have the culture that we have in a public company. But we can do it as a private company because we can make those decisions. We can call those shots. Yeah. And it's, I feel like there's a relationship here to also how people can operate personally, that when you're at least successful at a base level where you're not concerned about paying bills, there's so many decisions you can make that are healthier and more positive decisions in life. And it, it really, I feel like if a young entrepreneur is listening to this, the advice I would have is to like bust your butt in the early years after you're in college to get yourself to a, a point where you've eliminated money and finances as the major factor of why you're right. doing what you're doing. It enables you to pursue your passions a whole lot more. And there's, like I said, so many other decisions you can make your whole lifestyle changes when you mm -hmm. can get yourself to that point. And my understanding is that uh, Cutco as a company has gotten itself to a point where it is healthy enough financially that you know we can easily make decisions in the interest of people, even when it costs a few dollars here or you know something in the short term there. We can do that because it's the right thing to do and we're healthy enough that we don't have to worry about stuff like that. And I just, uh, I really respect that. I can remember, you know, five years ago when we had a, a company recruit a large portion of our management team out here in the Western region. And the company really went in reverse gear for a year or two right there in 2014, 2015. And rather than restrict our opportunities for our people, it was during those precise years that the company came out with a bunch of new opportunities for mm -hmm. our people and doubled down on the people who were here and were committed and were going to be helping to build us back up to the excellence that we have achieved. And then I think we had our best year ever, you know, last year or the year before that. So it's pretty cool to, uh, to have been a part of that process. Yeah, it's so true. You can't focus on the long game. You can't focus on the long-term strategy if you're worried about money in the short term. And that's something, you know, my father's has really taught me that you worry about financial health and when you're healthy, you can make the right long-term decisions that are right for the business, right for your people, because you're not focused on the short-term money. And it just, it's, it really is a great way to run your business. Yeah. And that trickles back to make us more income in the long run anyway. Mm -hmm. So exactly. Uh, you know, when you were talking about people struggling with retiring, Jim, I couldn't help but think about the great Stu Smith. You know, the last time I was out there, Stu, you know, kind of pulled me aside and he said, Hey, I'm going to be retiring. I mean, he was telling me this, you know, I think maybe eight months before the time came. But I know that that time came for Stu here this last May or June and that he retired. And Stu Smith was our national administrative manager. He was with the company since the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. And he had over 40 years of service. Yeah. 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 And I remember when he told me, you know, he was going to be retiring, like you could see, like, there was emotion mm -hmm. behind those words, you know, and it was a difficult thing for him to say that, mm -hmm. you know, it was finally time. Right. And for most people who have worked 40 years and put themselves in a great position like Stu and, you know, could enjoy the rest of his life with his wife, like that's a celebration, right? But because Cutco is such a family environment, the celebration, I guess, of retiring can be a little muted by the mm -hmm. sadness of leaving this other family. Mm -hmm. uh, that they have there in the factory. Yeah, it's so true. And, and, and Stu really did. And he continues to struggle with it. You know, he misses the people he's popping his head in and he's showing up and he's saying hello. And, and you can tell it's a challenging transition for him. And, you know, he's excited about the things he can go and, and do with Mimi, his wife, but he's struggling not being a part of that Cutco fabric. And we see that a lot. That's the yeah. downside of a good culture, I guess. 
I guess makes, so. It makes uh, makes retirement very difficult. Yeah, it's interesting though to hear that. We're inviting Stu to our Western region. I told Stu you have a lifetime exemption to come to our Western region Olean dinner that we have every November. So, uh-huh. Stu, if you're listening, Friday night, November 8th, we'll see you at the old library, man. Right. Be, be right. out there. Jim, I want to get into some of your own personal philosophies as a leader and just kind of uh, get some idea. I, obviously, you've shared a few here already, but uh, mm-hmm. what else are some of your personal philosophies as a, as a leader that you could share with our audience? There's so many traits and qualities that a good leader has. So, but if I think about, you know, the things that I try to focus on or the things that I try to uh, stay true to on a daily basis, the first one that comes to mind is to be genuine and to be trustworthy and, and have integrity. And, you know, people need to respect the person that they're following. And, you know, there's two elements of that. So part of the respect is I respect the work that they do. I respect the results that they could get our team. But what I'm talking about is respect for the person. Uh, You know, regardless of the results, I respect that person. I respect their values. I respect what they stand for. I respect how they treat me. So, you know, genuine and trustworthiness are right at the top of the list for me. You know, beyond that, I would say the next big thing is to surround yourself with good people. It takes a team to get it done. Nobody can get anything done by themselves. And you can't do it alone. You need other people to help you. And uh, which probably leads to the third point, which is to be a good listener. You've got all these wonderful people around you. And they have ideas. They have concerns. They have goals. They have interests. They have needs. You've really got to be able to listen to that. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes there's a lot of noise. You got a lot of things coming at you. Uh, Sometimes you, maybe you don't agree with what they're saying or you have a different idea in your head. And, you know, being a good listener means taking time to open your mind and really truly listen to what people have to say. And then I would say my fourth key philosophy that I try to follow is is to create and stay focused on clear objectives. So, you know, you can have a a large team, you can have great people, but if they're all going in scattered directions, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. And in particular, if you have good people, they're going to have all kinds of ideas of what you ought to be doing in your business. And it's your job to clarify all those ideas and clarify the focus so that the entire team can be rowing the boat in the right direction. So, you know, there's there's a couple of them that uh, are key to me. Like I said, those aren't the end of it. I think to be a good leader, there's so many qualities and traits. There's so many books out there that talk about all the different things. But for me, I would say those are probably the four things I focus on the most. Yeah, that was great. You know, that idea of integrity and building trust, to me, that's the foundation of all success in all relationships, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be as a leader in business or personally with our friends and people closest to us. And that has to be the first step towards building any relationship uh, that we have. And I've always felt like the people that I've worked with in Cutco were people who would do what they say, what they say they'll do and were true to their word all the time. And, and as we talked about earlier, acted in the interest of the people, right? Made people decisions that affect mm-hmm. the business, as you said earlier. Right. And I, I always felt that. And that, that to me, is one of the things that uh, you know, made me feel comfortable following 
people like Bruce Goodman and, you know, Brad Britton and many others that I've had a chance to work with uh, right. here out West. You know, you, you talked about surrounding yourself with good people. And, and it's so interesting to think about the influence that our network has. There's a, an interview I had with a guy named John Levy that uh, will be, by the time this one comes out, that one will already have been released. And, you know, he sold Cutco for three years in New York and was number one college All-American. And he's a self-proclaimed behavioral scientist and studies the impact of our network on us. Mm -hmm. And um, he cites a lot of interesting facts about, you know, how much more likely we are to develop traits if we have in our reference group people who exhibit those traits. And it's just a reality that we gradually adopt the beliefs, the philosophies, the habits of people we hang out around the most. And being able to be around genuinely good people that exhibit the qualities of integrity, that exhibit, you know, good work ethic, that are passionate about learning and growing. It's hard not to follow along in that. And I know that that's one of the things that also really like got me caught up into this culture of Cutco and Vector Marketing uh, at an early age. Mm-hmm. And you talked about listening. And I think this is one of the things that our, a lot of our young leaders most need to learn. Because I think so many young leaders, you know, we, we have people who are obviously, we have branch managers who are 19 or 20 years old and, you know, young district managers right out of college running their own sales offices. And I just think a lot of them think leadership is about, you know, telling people what to do and, motivating and inspiring people in ways that are sort of like pushing people. And that's not really what great leadership is. It's it's a lot more of it is about listening and, you know, helping to uncover what are people's wants and needs and helping to kind of show people that path and, you know, help them get there. But that listening is one of the the most valuable skills. And that's why it's so great to be an introvert, by the way. Yes. Uh, you and yes. I can share because yes. we exhibit that a whole lot better than most extroverts. Right. And I think a lot of our extroverted managers have, uh, you know, this is an area they can really work on. So that that was really cool. Those things that you shared right there. The last thing you talked about there was clear objectives. I'm wondering what is your vision for the future of Cutco? Mm-hmm. The vision for me is, you know, it's a little bit challenging. It's that thing that's that picture that's way out there in the future and you know what is it exactly that you're that you're chasing and you know for me you know it's sustainability and if anything i would say the short and sweet vision of our company is to be a company of great products and great people and to be a company of purpose great purpose so i guess the vision becomes how do we maximize the impact that we have you know on our little footprint of the world how can we grow the impact that we have on all of the people that we get the opportunity to work with. And, you know, it, it starts with our, you know, with our team. And, you know, when Eric and my dad bought the company, they did it to save jobs. They did it to save livelihoods. And over time, it's, it's become so much more than that. You know, yeah, we're trying to provide jobs for our factory and, and, and provide jobs for this entire sales organization that we have. But it's more than just having a job. It's having a job that allows you to pursue happiness and fulfillment. And we want our people to maximize their talent within the business. And, and we want them to be a part of something that's, that's bigger than themselves and have a positive impact on people around them. And whether it's the people that they're working with, or it's our customers, or it's people outside the business, whether it's the community that they live in or supporting charities. 
you know, how can we take that and expand our footprint in this big world that we live in, our tiny little footprint in the world we live in? We've been at this for a long time. We celebrated 70 years this year. And, it, you know, from my perspective, being a third generation CEO of the company being privately held, I don't lose sight of the fact that sustainability is a big word and it's an mm-hmm. important word. And, you know, you, you want to be careful you don't bite off more than you can chew and lose the business, but just keeping this thing going and continuing to expand it little by little every year and have a positive influence on more people in a better way as time goes on. You know, I think that's the vision that I would say I have for the company. Yeah. How do you wish for the Cutco Vector organization to change people's lives in the years ahead? Well, one of the great things about our organization, and it really exists within Vector, is it's just that pursuit of personal growth and uh, pursuit of being the best version of yourself. And when you tie that into a culture that has values of serving others and taking care of others, now then what you have is you have talented people that are successful that have the ability to help take care of people around us that could use some help. You know, and there's so many stories and examples of, you know, where we're, we're supporting charities and, and giving back and paying it forward. And, you know, our company does it in a way that other companies just don't do it. It really makes me proud to know that it's part of what this whole podcast is about, you know, changing lives, selling knives. But it may seem a little silly of an analogy, but it truly is. I mean, making and selling knives is the vehicle for us to create livelihood. And if we create good livelihoods with the backbone of great values, then we have the ability to impact people outside of our business and be an example and inspire others within our world to be better. And quite honestly, our world could use a little bit more of that these days. Yeah, for sure. That was very well said. What else is there that you feel like you want to say to our our young reps, our, our managers in the field, or alumni, anybody who's listening? What would you like right, to, to right. leave people with? Well, I would say the biggest thing is I need to thank them. You know, there's two parts of our business. We make the knives and we sell knives. And the team that sells our product is half of the equation and a very important part of the equation. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough, I get the opportunity to being only in base, I get to interact with our entire factory team and our administrative team on a very routine basis. I don't get to see the people in the field as often as I would like to, but uh, I want them to know that their involvement in our company and the work that they do, selling our products, allowing this enterprise to work is very much appreciated. And at the same time, I see the work they're doing beyond just selling knives. I see their stories of the impact they're having and the good they're doing. And it makes me very proud. It puts a smile on my face. And uh, it's just, it's such a great thing. So thank you to all of our sales team, current and past, that's been a part of making this company be able to reach 70 years. And, you know, we're as good today as we ever have been. And we have a very bright future and it's exciting. And, uh, I'm very appreciative that our sales team has been a huge part of making that happen. Awesome. Well, Jim, as you look ahead into the future, you know, five, 10 plus years down the road, what are you most excited about? We live today in an environment of rapidly changing and competitive world, more so than I think it ever has been. The world is changing so much faster. And the pursuit of being a sustainable company, the pursuit of being a company that's built to last 
the pursuit of being a company that can stand the test of time is something that we can't take lightly. And we have a great foundation with our product and our people and our values and our distribution approach. So we've got that great foundation. But there's some things you know we have to figure out to stay alive in this competitive world. Uh, if we don't, we're, we'll disappear. And as I look at our foundation and I look at the team of people that we have, you know, hey, it's exciting to come to work every day and say, we're going to solve these problems. We're going to go make this happen. And uh, it's going to be a positive thing for a lot of people. So, you know, just certainly in the short term, the next five to 10 years, like I said, the world is changing quick on us. But I deeply believe that what our company stands for and what our company offers absolutely fits in today's world. We just have to figure out how to navigate our business in this world that's uh, very competitive, very noisy, uh, a world that's very small. And uh, I'm excited to, to see what we're going to accomplish. Yeah, it's going to be great for sure. How about uh, outside of the Cutco sphere, Jim? What are you excited about? That's, what uh, am I excited? Right. So, well, my daughter... Uh, four weeks ago, I, my wife and I dropped her off at the University of Dayton. Oh. So uh, she, she decided to go where her dad went and where her grandfather went. And neither one of us pushed her in that direction. She actually ended up there all on her own decision. I didn't want to be that dad that said, you're going to go where dad went. But she's been there for a month now, and she's really doing well, and she loves it. She's a bright young lady, and uh, I'm really excited to see you know, as she really transitions into adulthood here, where life's going to take her. She's been around our business, the Cutco Vector business. She loves being out on the Vector trips and uh, seeing the Vector people. And she's worked uh, in the summertime here uh, and only in for several summers now. So I don't know, maybe there's a future uh, Cutco Vector person in our future of the next five years in her. So we'll see how that happens. <laughs> and uh, my son, he's he's a freshman in, in high school and you know, yeah, he's a freshman in high school. So when you're a freshman in high school, you don't know where you're going in life. So <laughs> we're just navigating that. And, and my wife and I are just having fun being uh, parents of two young people that uh, need a lot of our help and attention and love. And we love giving it to them. So that's what we're focused on. Well, that's great, Jim. You know, I've been here now working in Cutco Vector for 31 years. And I don't think there's a whole lot of people who, you know, are at least in my circle of friends outside of Cutco. I don't think there's anybody who's doing the same thing today that they were doing, working right. for the same company today that they were working for, you know, when they were 17 years old or 31 years ago. And oftentimes people will ask me, why? Why have you stayed with that company for so long? And one of the primary reasons is that we really impact people here. You know, the whole idea of changing lives, as you said, it's a little bit cliche, but it really is true with what we do. The knives are the vehicle for that, mm -hmm. but that we're really a people development company. And that's what I think I enjoy most. It's, of course, been a great financial opportunity for me and enabled me to have an amazing lifestyle. There's a lot of freedom that comes along with the roles that we play in sales and sales management, freedom with our schedule and freedom with how we operate and freedom to kind of build something in the the mold of our own selves. But obviously, one of the most fundamental reasons is the people. It's the people that I've had a chance to work with both above and below, but in particular, it's the leadership that I've had a chance to be around. Having been around Eric Lane, having been around your dad, having been around people like Bruce Goodman and Al DiLeonardo and 
Mike Lancelot and so many others, Don Frieda that started the company, uh, that started Vector. These people have been extremely influential and, and powerful leaders and mentors in my life. And I just wanted to say that I'm really honored to work with you personally. And I'm really honored to work with a company like this that makes such a powerful impact on so many people. So uh, I want to thank you very much for your time here today to share with our audience. And, uh, yeah, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, thanks for, uh, for taking this project on and doing it. You're doing a great job of really telling our story. We have a very special story and, uh, I'm really honored that you, you care about it so much that, uh, that you want to tell it and you're doing a, a marvelous job. So thank you. I appreciate it. And I've enjoyed having this conversation with you today. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, See you soon. Yep. Take care, Dan. That was Jim Stitt, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Really cool to hear about how Jim held so many different positions as he rose through the ranks in the Cutco organization, starting with a factory floor roles uh, in the summers while he was a college student, and then uh, rising up uh, through the ranks uh, in the factory and then into the executive team and ultimately to the CEO position. Of course, the people come first philosophies of the company. I really love the quote that, uh, you know, we don't make business decisions that affect our people. We make people decisions that affect our business. And being able to put people first is a hallmark of this company. And it's one of the key reasons why I have felt so comfortable, you know, working here and being a part of this organization for so many years. I enjoyed Jim's philosophies as a leader. And he started it out with the word genuine. And I think you could get a real sense from this interview of just how genuine of a person Jim Stitt really is. And for any of you that have been to the Cutco factory and met him, you really get that sense when you get to know him and meet him. I was also struck by the idea of the difference that one person can make in the lives of so many others. And in this case, Jim gives the credit to Eric Lane, who led the leadership team that bought Cutco from Alcoa back in 1984. And, you know, he said that Eric decided he's going to buy the company. If he didn't, nobody probably would have. And the, the power of that one decision made by one person and how many countless lives that has impacted, you know, all the Cutco reps that have worked since 1984, all of the people who are currently in the company, the people in the factory whose jobs were saved back then, some of whom are still working there now. The power of one person to make an impact over so many other lives. And I think it's inspiring for everyone listening to the podcast just to think about how could you change people's lives in your future? What impact could you have? How could you take that impact to the highest level and impact the most people in the biggest ways in your future? I hope you're inspired by that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Very honored and grateful to have had our Cutco Corporation CEO, Jim Stitt. Hope you all have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.